Hey everybody, this is Tina again with Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, and we're back for another week of true crime stories involving medical professionals, and also good nurse stories, which also involve medical professionals doing wonderful, amazing things. And so this week, I have one of your favorite, your absolute favorite guest host. You guys, cue the nurses back. Hey, Q. Hey, hey, Tina. Tina, you know I love coming on this show. I love it. I love it, especially when we get to talk about some of these nut cases. <laughs> My listeners love it when you're on the show. They like the extra energy that you bring to the show. <laughs> but I'd like to get into this bad doctor story first because it's it's a really interesting story. It has so many twists and turns and just crazy details. I can't even. Yeah, this dude is this dude is like. I mean, he's all over the place. He's like the David Blaine of bad doctors. He's all his tricks up the sleeve, yeah. out the wazoo. <laughs> Cherry on top, the way the story ends, but we'll see. <laughs> it's true. It's very true. So this story is the story of Dr. Charles Friedgood. He was a medical doctor who was born October 3rd, 1918 in Toledo, Ohio. And he went to high school in Detroit, Michigan. His classmates said that he kind of had a hard time fitting in. That's not unusual uh, with our stories that we do. (laughs) (laughs) Although it didn't really bother him. He didn't really necessarily want to fit in. I mean, I feel like I know people like this that are kind of sort of a little bit of outcasts, but they kind of like that they're outcasts. Like they don't want to be mainstream. They don't want to be, I guess, one of the average people. You know what I'm saying? I think that's kind of how he was. I know exactly what you mean. Like some people are aloof or like the introvert yes. or they just like to keep to themselves and they're good with that. Yeah. But this guy sounded like he was bad and he was good with that. Yes. I think that so some people described him as being sly and like he smiled a lot. So So to me, rather than getting the impression of him being someone who was awkward or shy, and and that's why he didn't fit in, I get the feeling that he was maybe more aloof and kind of maybe a little arrogant and thought highly of himself. And and he deliberately didn't fit in because he didn't, he probably felt like he was better than everyone else. That's the impression I I get anyway, from just kind of reading the the rest of his story. Oh, oh, yes. No, listen. And, And I like that you separated the two. Because keeping to yourself is not a bad thing, right? And when people, you know, people say like, YOLO, live your best life, do you, boo-boo, right? Do your thing. It's okay if you're doing something that most other people aren't doing but is normal. But if you're doing bad things and you still don't give a shit when people around you care or concerned, then we start having to start qu- asking questions about your ideals, your morals, your personhood. So I, I'll let you get into the details, but there's a few things that he does early in his career, even before he has a career, that I'm like, oh my, this is not a good sign of what's coming ahead. No, it's true. I mean, he, for one thing, he would just cheat on his exams all the time. He didn't He didn't even care if anyone knew that he was cheating. If he was caught, he would just smile and lie his way out of punishment. He just had a way with people. He was one of those people that could kind of talk his way out of anything, and he could make people believe anything he wanted them to. So you can imagine, like, if he got caught doing something like that, he could pretty much sweet talk the, the teacher or the professor or the, you know, whoever it is. And get out of it, which is those people are so frustrating to me, because I feel like those are the people, well, we're going to find out that he is one of those people that fell through the cracks, because he was really manipulative and really good at getting away with things. And it's just really unfortunate for a lot of people, because he had so many victims in his wake. I, I love you, Tina, but he didn't fall through the cracks. This guy created his own cracks. This dude, bro- I mean, he broke ground. The things that he sneakily did or got away with is mind-blowing for any healthcare professional. Never mind a, a doctor that has gotten in trouble as often and as frequent as he has. Um, yeah. I, and he yeah. continued to. Yeah, so, yeah. It's true. It's very true. He attended medical school at the University of Michigan in 1940. You know, he was born in 1918. So this was a, a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> way back when. Way Definitely back. back in the day. I love doing this kind of older stories because I don't feel as bad. I feel like, you know, you can kind of talk more openly about these people. They're all the people that were pretty much connected, you know, with his story and his family 
you know, um, I feel like this was kind of back in the day to where you don't have to worry as much about people being so directly connected to the story. You know what I mean? So, yes, I feel like it's easier. To you talk never about. want to offend or change a story, yeah. especially tell the wrong story when people are alive and can tell the story for themselves. Right. But when it's down in print and everyone else is gone, we only have what we have. So we are allowed to, you know, guess or fill in the blanks where need to. Exactly. So around that time, 1940, it wasn't really a good time for people who were going to be doctors in the future to have a history of tuberculosis because no one would want to hire them. Yeah, he had a lot of job applications that were returned because I guess he was positive for TB. He basically, long story short, he went to the dean's office and (laughs) forged some documents that omitted his TB diagnosis from his history. And then while he was in there, he thought, hey, you know, I've got access to do whatever I want to with my file. He went ahead and wrote himself a glowing recommendation (laughs) from the dean. And this beautiful reference about himself. Problem is, (laughs) he made it just a little too good. And so, when his potential employer received the letter of recommendation, he was so impressed. He was like, man, I'm going to call, you know, and check about about this guy and inquire more about it. And then that's when they found out that it wasn't uh, real. It wasn't real. So he got kicked out of medical school at that point. I mean, you would kind of think that would be the end of the story, right? Right? Like, case closed shut. Thank God we missed this one, right? We, you know, we, like, up until this point in the story, I know I'm being a bad person here. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you have, uh, no, in, in 2020, if you have a history of TB, yeah, you want to be cautious. You want to do, what is it called? Like the, the x-ray, whatever, or you get the, the quantifuron test. You know, you, there's ways we can get through it right now. So, at this point in the story... Like, yeah, so you're going to go there and sneak in and d- change your TV results. Look, at this point, I know you're a bad person. You're, you, this is not good, but I can look, I, I can look past this, right? You don't currently have it. It's not, you're not passing it on. You're not doing anything crazy, right? Adding the, 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 what's it called? Personal reference, I thought was hilarious. Doing it to just to get into n- medical school, it's, it's a bad look, but I, I, at this point, I don't think he's the worst person on the planet. And I actually thought it was kind of funny that he made it so good. He couldn't help himself, Tina. He couldn't just be like, he's a good guy, you know, got all good grades. He made it so good that the actual employer, I mean, a medical school or employer, whoever he was signing up for, wanted to call the people. That is what just tipped me. This, this dude is obviously insane, has no, he no bounds or reason with anything, with anything. Yeah, he definitely was maybe disconnected from reality a little bit and didn't quite realize like hey um stop and think about how this is going to look from the other side like you know be low-key about it if you give a good recommendation but maybe not go completely over the top (laughs) you're just going to fall right in the middle but no he had to go overboard he had to be grandiose and you know amazing were you tempted at all at seeing what this recommendation was because like i feel like I don't know, like, how good of a recommendation must they have been where they, they're like, I need to talk about this student. I I was excited. I, at this point in the story, I thought it was funny. I know. A little bad, but funny. I have had to write a lot of rec- letters of recommendation for other nurses and just for my, in my little short career, because as being a team leader... You know, I have a lot of people who then come along and be like, hey, I'm trying to get a nursing, I'm trying to get into, um, maybe it's a CNA trying to get a nursing school, or it's a nurse trying to get their master's degree. But I have had to do this a lot, like write a letter of recommendation for people. And I do always try to make them sound wonderful. I mean, I say what the truth is. And if they're great, I'm going to say it. I have never been called afterwards right to say uh so i cannot imagine <laughs> what How this guy um- must have said about it <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't stop Tina. he could not stop oh boy is like this is the greatest dog in the history of the world i'm like all right this guy's obviously insane well even i know because like so right? one of the people in particular that i can think of that i wrote a letter of recommendation for i 
I literally had to hold, like, I literally had to pull back a little bit because I didn't want it to seem like I was being fake because I thought, mm. like, this is how I really feel about this girl. Like, I, she is the best nurse and I could go on and on and on, but I don't want to seem like I'm just being fake. So, like, I tried to be more realistic, like, just using my common sense. Like, what is wrong with this guy that he didn't have the common sense to know, like, you can't just be, you cannot just say just over the top. Crazy. Yeah. Amazing things. Yeah. 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 So you got to be realistic. It's just a common sense factor. I feel like that maybe he lacked. He was definitely lacking. So, of course, he gets kicked out of medical school now because, uh, you know, once they find out that he not only did he have tuberculosis, but he literally broke in to the dean's office and changed, you know, forged records, um, forged a letter of recommendation. I mean, this guy is definitely getting kicked out of medical school, right? But as a result, he was so desperate that he worked his way into some wealthy circles, married his way into wealth um, in that area. And so now he has ample resources to use. Somehow, uh, Wayne University, bless their hearts, as we would say here in the South, (laughs) 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 decided to give him a second chance and let him finish his medical degree. I I mean, that just absolutely blows my mind. But, you know, money talks, as they say. Later on, his wife does end up seeing how manipulative he is. So they got a divorce. And this is his first wife. This was kind of like a first wife that he had. But he, uh, Before you continue, I'm sorry yeah. just to cut you off there. But I just wanted to ask, I, this has to be a thing back in the day. Because I don't know, you don't hear stories like that, like, married into a good family or just like talked his way into like the good life i does that i don't know if that's like a thing that legitimately i don't is that a thing that happens tina Mm, i think that it probably still does i mean if you think about it if some if you if you are like a really smooth talker that can kind of manipulate people and you come across someone who has a lot of money I would say, yes, that definitely still happens. I mean, think of um, just in the past few years, the story about Dirty John. I don't know if you're familiar with that story. It's the story that we did. It was one of the first uh, like couple of episodes that we did here on this podcast. Uh, we talked about John Meehan. He, is, he was a um, CRNA who um, pretty much got in with a wealthy woman um, and manipulated his way in. Um, just it was just a horrible story, and we did that. It was like one of our first couple of episodes. We have since archived those ep- episodes because the sound quality is really bad. And sorry, it's before <laughs> oh. it's before Tina figured out <laughs> a couple of things, so I was still learning. And so the sound quality is really bad. So it uh, those first few like eleven, twelve <laughs> episodes. Um, those are archived now they are on our website behind the patron account so like if you sign up and or do like the three dollar a month thing uh where you just sort of help out with the podcast kind of help fund our uh monthly expenses then you can (laughs) if you want to hear the bad quality first episodes that we did then those are on there but uh we but you're saying the crna he was yeah it was um he was legit, like he got his job because of who he was married to. Well, he was a CN. He was a CRNA who then befriended a wealthy woman. But I mean, without giving too much of the story away, because I think I feel like this is a story I probably need to redo um, at course. some point. Um, he did all these crazy things to get in with her. Um, so I feel like that was sort of similar. Wow, some wild things, yeah. bro. I don't know. I think I people feel still like, do I feel it. Like it, it. It's wild. It's wild. All I'm saying is it's wild because with with today in 2020 with technology, you could just mm-hmm. check ex- like you. It's hard to fake things. You can't fake documents anymore. You can't fake or smooth talk your way into situations. If you're qualified, you're not qualified. I feel like we've gotten pretty good at figuring that out. Believe it or not, this guy. This guy, John Meehan, the Dirty John story, he 
it was recent enough that they met on a dating app. Yeah, the, oh, damn! Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is real new. Right. Yeah. So he did end up scoring a residency with one of the nation's top surgeons at the time. Uh, the residency was abruptly canceled after a year. They did not record why that happened. There was no public knowledge about why it was canceled. Um, and it really didn't affect him too much because after that, he got a job in New York City in Mount Sinai. So I, I don't know what this man could have. He was bulletproof. He could do whatever he wanted to do, apparently. Sounds like it. So while in New York City, he worked his way into the powerful intellectual circles. Circles, He was very influential and people were amazed by him. People were just pretty much mesmerized. And I think he was kind of one of those people that had the ability to almost hypnotize people and just cast a spell on them. And, and everyone around him did whatever he wanted, loved him, believed everything he said. He's just one. I mean, do you know anyone like this? I the thing is, I don't know. Like, that's the thing. I mean, I there's a couple of people that I feel like it's just. Look, I'm looking up his pictures uh-huh. of what he looked like as a young man, and I, I'm expecting to see like the most handsome person on the planet, but he just looks average. Yeah, I I just don't see. He must have been the smoothest talking, most manipulative person on the planet yeah. because the very few people that are coming to my mind are. Genuinely good people, and that's why people like him. As far as I know, mm. he must have just been so charismatic. I mean, he has to, yeah, be. has to, be. has to. Be. He married a Jewish woman. This is his second wife. Her name was Sophie. Um, she was so in love with him. She was in love with his charm. She was really just enamored with him and taken in by all of his, you know, just his personality and his charm. And her family happened to be pretty wealthy. So that worked out nicely for him. Of course. So he and his family moved to Brooklyn. It didn't take long for his fellow physicians to realize that he was an absolute snake. He would con other doctors out of their patients and manipulate paperwork so that he would get paid more money. For example, he would erase one doctor's name enlist his name as the attending physician. Can you believe this? This is wild. This is wild. This is wild. See, this is when things start to get turned up, right? It's starting to get really bad really quickly. He got away with this. He got away with this criminal be- criminal behavior for a while. And then there are some things that he did uh, that we're going to discuss that were just, I swear, one of the things that we're going to talk about in a minute, I l- have research so many i've been doing this podcast for over two years you can imagine the number of stories that i've researched about medical professionals doing crazy unbelievable things i have never ever heard of a doctor doing this it is just so despicable come on i mean i can't even believe this first thing that we're going to talk about but when he was at the uh, maimonade's hospital his position there ended when he performed a, quote, heart surgery on a baby. Now, there were actually, I mean, the, it's so hard for me to even imagine this. I i swear I've never heard of anything like this before. But when the baby didn't improve after having surgery, and the family had to keep paying more for appointments and treatments, they took their baby to get a second opinion. And when they did, they found out, that the baby actually didn't have any heart surgery whatsoever performed on him. The doctor, our good doctor, um, Dr. Friedgood, (laughs) actually just made an incision on the baby and then sewed it up to make it look like he had done a surgery, but he actually had not done any surgery. Q, I can't imagine... This a situation in which he would be able to get away with this. How did this happen? Yeah, no, and and, and I think that's the big question because you, there is no surgery where it's just one person. Like even if you go to like those outpatient doctor office surgeries, right. there's a nurse there, there's a helper there, there's the so I mean like the CNA. I mean there's another human being is always there, and when it comes to heart surgery. I, 
I know it's the 1940s. I know this is way back in who knows when. But how? 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 Do you cut open a baby's chest, sew it back up, no one else in the hospital, uh, uh, on the unit, whatever, the nurses, the PCU, the PACU? How? How can no one else have known or been in on the crime and him get away with this? That is the big question. That is the big question. I, I, I don't know. I, the only thing I, I can imagine is that everyone involved in the situation just didn't want to lose their job, which is disgusting. I mean, seriously, uh, this is a baby's life that's at stake. Um, unless something happened, like he, op- he like made the incision and then somehow put on some sort of show for the operator operating room staff that was like, oh, this isn't going to work for whatever reason. Close the baby oh, up. Oh, I see what you mean. Maybe didn't disclose to them what was going on, like made it look like he was attempting it. And then they don't know that he then went to the patient or to the, yeah, to the patient's parents and made it look like he actually performed surgery, you know, like maybe he just had some elaborate scheme. This guy was very manipulative and very creative in all of the criminal activity that was involved in and apparently had no morals, no scruples whatsoever. And just nothing, nothing was beneath him. To try. So I know in the, uh, uh, what I just said was about how it's crazy that he got away with it. And that is the big question. Um, but at this point in the story, so you start to, we always do these stories and then we find out that the, um, you know, the bad nurse or the bad doctor who the bad healthcare provider have you kill their wife or their brother or the aunt or someone that they, you know, that, that there was like an intention and there was reason behind doing the killing. Right. But when we talk about stories like this, and the reason healthcare providers who are bad, so the bad nurses of the podcast portion, get me so frustrated is because when you're doing it to patients, right? Like if you're going to get into a fight with someone, get into a fight who can fight for themselves. Right. Patients don't have any say. They have the entire trust on you. That's number one. Number two, when you do it to a child who is a patient and then you lie to the family and tell them that the kid is now better. Look. If you're going to do something bad, do it to someone who can fight back. Mm-hmm. That's all I say. That's all I ask. If you're going to take advantage of people who can't fight back, it just it boils my blood like there's no other. And this person, he does it, and he has no shame, no regret. no. It, it, it bothers me quite a bit, Tina. So this reading this story and finding out that he got away with this just is mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. So... You guys, Q is is an uncle. He's a pretty pretty new uncle, so you you can hear the passion. <laughs> like I know why he's so mad. It's because he's experienced that feeling of like, oh my gosh, this little baby is the most precious thing in the world. This is my little niece. Like he now I know when he heard this story, he immediately saw his oh precious God. little baby niece in this situation, and he is so ticked off because he's imagined somebody doing this to her, and he's like ticked about it. So that's kind of that's kind of funny because I've seen like Tina, the, just- the little posts that you put on Instagram. <laughs> so no, I'm just, I, all I'm saying is like, look, look, listen, I'm in healthcare and I'm not just in healthcare. I, before I became a travel nurse, I was a cardiac nurse. I know all of this stuff. But if you take a baby, yeah. my baby, my niece, whoever, take them into this OR, you tell them that they had, tell me that they had surgery mm-hmm. and I see an incision on the baby's chest. I am going to believe you. Well, of course. So I can't imagine a non-healthcare, non-whatever professional just believing the doctor and the entire healthcare team when nothing was happened. It's so painful. It's so frustrating. And on top of it, I know money shouldn't be a concern, but they continue to pay money. And we all know how expensive healthcare is. This person, he is truly evil. He's like an evil person. He has to be a psychopath. There's no emotion in him because if you can do this to a baby, you can do this to anything and everything. And he deserves to go to jail, throw him under the jail, throw him under the jail. I know. I agree. And we're literally just scraping the surface of the things that this man did, like, it's just it's unbelievable. He basically bounced around to a bunch of different hospitals, um, doing all sorts of unethical things, and then he'd have to leave. And somehow he would 
be lucky enough to be able to continue to practice. I mean, you would, you can imagine after doing this with this baby, supposedly having open heart surgery and then didn't. Um, and he still was able to keep his medical license. So he did things like this at all these different hospitals. And every time the hospital would just want to cover it up because they didn't want to be involved. They just kind of like keep it hush hush. We don't want bad publicity. And they would sweep it under the rug. And then he would just continue to practice medicine as this horrible, horrible person. I mean, this is so, so scary. It's sickening. He, it, it truly is. Oh, yeah. He was caught doing abortions for women, charging $1,000 each. At that time, can you imagine $1,000? $1,000. Yeah. This this guy just, he he doesn't believe in anything outside of himself. No. It's just him, and he gets what he wants when he wants, no matter what he has to do. Well, abortions at the time was illegal, so he was charged with eight indictments of abortion, and surprise, surprise, he just continued on with his career. He never lost his medical license. Unbelievable. Just unbelievable. He starts having an affair with his nurse, uh, with a nurse Uh-oh. that worked for him. She was from Denmark. They actually had a couple of kids together, and he set her up in an apartment just down the street from where he lived with his wife. So his family knows about this uh, relationship with this woman, about the children that he's that he has with her. And somehow his entire family are on his side. I don't know. I just swear this man has the ability to charm people in a way that I just cannot even understand. But that's the effect he has on people. The family thing is what blows my mind. Because how can you get your family to be okay with having another family and not just having another family and another affair, but having a move down the street, your neighbors with your husband's extra family. What is going on, Tina? What is the story? What is the story? I, I, I know it's, it's kind of one of these things where like every, everything that I, like I tell like the next thing he did and I can't even believe it. And then the next thing is just like his wife had had a stroke previously that actually caused some, personality changes. She wasn't, you know, real pleasant. So, you know, some some of you that are listening probably, you know, a lot of people listen to this podcast have medical background, okay? They have experience dealing with people in these settings. And so, you know that someone who's had a stroke before might have some personality changes and it might lead them to kind of have some impulse issues and have a hard time kind of controlling, you know, they might get angry easily, she, I think, had some of those effects from her stroke. And so they had some marital issues even before he began cheating on her. But you know that um, when two people get married, that whole in sickness and in health thing, this was the in sickness part. But I don't think, you know, again, this guy did not believe in holding up any. This is all about him. So this, her being sick, her having a stroke, her having personality issues, you know, and being difficult to deal with, that in no way went along with his idea of how his life was supposed to be going. So he, instead of like going along with what he committed to in his marriage, he decided, well, I'll just go on the side here and have another relationship. But he didn't want to leave her because she was very wealthy, right? If he loved her, there goes the financial stability. And so he kind of was, I guess, in his eyes, trapped. And so he didn't feel like it was something, you know, he could he could necessarily just leave, right? I don't know how bad this dude's manipulation gets, but like throughout the story, it keeps saying how much that she loved him. And it, it hurts to read that, like knowing his backstory. It hurts to read that someone actually truly loved him. Well, you know, this guy, not only, it, it, like I said, one thing after another that this guy was doing, obviously had the extramarital issues, pretty much just kind of like being like, oh, my wife had a stroke, so that's not cool with me. I'm going to just go do my own thing. But also the IRS is looking at him about the alleged, what, $1,000 abortion. So he's doing all these abortions their investigation took years, but eventually they amassed enough evidence for an indictment. And when they 
he had to go to trial. And when it went to court in the autumn of 1972, the government claimed that he owed them $400,000 in back taxes and penalties. That he owed $400,000 in back taxes? Tina, this dude just does not care. No. He just doesn't care. No, he doesn't. And he had no problem whatsoever with blaming his father, who was dead at the time. Um, He said that his father... Uh, did the taxes and must have messed it up. He was very tearful and manipulative in court and ended up with a lenient sentence and five years probation, payment of all taxes due, and a month at a public health facility in Texas. So he put all of his assets in his girlfriend's name and really didn't plan on paying anything back, (laughs) not to mention a grand jury investigation uh, would charge him with attempted murder, which I'm like, wait, what? Like, this guy, every time I turn around, I'm going to get whiplash just from like going one, from one thing to another. This guy is just He's a psycho. unbelievable. He's a psycho, Tina. It's, I mean, you know, I mean, people do this stuff. We, I mean, they, what, week in, week out, we talk about people that right. do crazy things. But this guy's doing all this stuff and just getting away with it, one thing after another. And it's like he just thinks, oh, I, I can get away with anything. I can just talk my way out of anything. The problem is he actually did. He really did, though. He really did. Like, at some point, he, of course, started to believe I can do whatever I want whenever I want because the rules do not apply to me. Well, when he goes for attempted murder, let's just talk about that story. Because is that not a doozy? This sounds like something out of like a Goodfellas movie or something like, you know, like a mobster oh, kind of movie. Yes. Does it not? So, Of course it does. It's, it's, it's black and crazy. It's, it is. So long story short, Dr. Friedgood, he met this businessman. His name was Toby Miller. They hit it off. They became really good friends. Unfortunately for for Mr. Miller, Miller owns a Holiday Inn near JFK at the time that they meet, and he he's struggling financially. So Dr. Friedgood uses his wife's money and invests about forty five percent into the company. Um, their friendship kind of started fading. I wonder why, and they began uh, became paranoid of each other. Okay, so Dr. Friedgood thought that doc- that. Dr. Freegood thought that Miller was cheating him. Miller wanted to take the share back completely. And after some legal stuff, um, he basically um, could do that according to their original contract, maybe because he only was in uh, possession of 45% of the company. So the, the person who had more invested in the company is able to then kind of buy out the other, the other person. But of course, Friedgood didn't really like that. And <laughs> hey, you know, if he doesn't like something, you probably need to be watching your back, right? Uh, you better believe. I, this is somebody that you do not want to cross in a dark alley. Facts. He asked Miller to meet with him ASAP. But Miller was like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm going to just, <laughs> I'll stay over here. So on, in July of 1972, Toby Miller, his his ex-partner, business partner, woke up, went to work, and on his drive, his usual route to work, he saw a car broken down. For whatever reason, they either knew that this guy, Toby Miller, was the kind of guy who would always stop for someone, which that's sad to me. You know, if, you, if you're if you thinking, oh, he'll stop and help somebody, and then you're friggin' about to do this to him. But once he did pull over, there were a bunch of men that got out, broke up in his car, Two other cars pulled up. I mean, this is a terrible, terrible scene. These really strong men sandwiched him in between his car and pretty much mentioned, you know, what was going on with him and and Dr. Friedgood. Then a third car pulls up and Dr. Friedgood gets out and he has an envelope. And they held Toby Miller down and injected him with a medication while they forced him to sign all of the paperwork. Oh my gosh, Dr. Freegood held up his right arm, this guy's right arm and injected a barbiturate under his armpit area. 
And so, of course, at this point, he passes out. And then when he wakes up, he was in his own house. But Dr. Friedgood was beating the crap out of him in his own house, having just been drugged. And he's literally waking up to him beating the crap out of him. What in the heck is going on with this guy? Yeah, that's the question. His lawyer took him to the hospital um, and they found 4.7 milligrams of barbiturates in his system. And so Dr. Freegood was arrested and charged with assault, robbery, and kidnapping. The case went to grand jury and then they didn't have any witnesses. So, I mean, seriously, <laughs> they didn't have any witnesses. All they had was uh, Toby Miller's word. And apparently that wasn't enough. So they dismissed the case, of course. Dr. Friedgood lucked out one more time. So, lucked out is crazy. Um, Tina, this is the kind of person we need to make movies about. Yes. I know, like, Tina does this podcast because it is a thing. People are super interested in how good people, or good people, how people could do really, really bad things. And, like, that's why, you know, we have CSI Miami and all of these, you know, movies about all these crazy murderers, right? We They need to be a movie about this dude. It needs to happen. He has the most interesting, most crazy stories in the world. And this part of the story sounds like he is a, like, Pablo Escobar. And he's like, like you know, sh- shaking someone. And it, it, how is this happening? How do you take someone like a business person and beat him up and pull him over in a random car and drug him? And he doesn't go to jail. Tata, what is going on? What is going on? I don't know. This is what this guy is able to do. There are just people out there like this. And these are the people that I feel like it's very important to kind of highlight them on our podcast, because I want people to hear the story and be so appalled by it, that if they witness something like this, it makes them go, "Hmm, I don't think I want, I think I want to stand up. You know, I want to do the hard thing and like, speak up. And not let this go on because there are a lot of people around him that are letting this happen, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't be able to get away with all of this stuff. Exactly. Exactly. Because you cannot. You literally cannot do this on your own. Believe it or not. I mean, we haven't even gotten to the ultimate thing that the guy ends up doing. (laughs) But there's even more before that. There was a situation in which, so he was apparently always late to work. There was an anesthesiologist who said that there was a a time when he was waiting. The anesthesiologist was waiting for Dr. Friedgood. And Dr. Friedgood kept saying, oh, I'm almost, uh, I'll I'll be there. I'm on my way. And so apparently the staff was just like, yeah, he's on his way. He'll be here any minute. Well, they kept him under sedation for so long that he eventually died because he didn't communicate how late he was going to be. I mean, good grief. I can't even. You go into court because you killed someone because you weren't even there on time? I don't understand it. I just don't understand it. The dude's a psycho. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. Just has no regard for, for human life whatsoever. He told, apparently he told one of his patients that he could do breast surgery for her, even though I mean, seriously, Q, seriously. Who does this? I don't know. It's unbelievable. He tells a woman he can do breast surgery for her, even though he had no experience in plastic surgery. He placed implants in wrong, and he screwed it up, and she got a severe infection. He went to court for this, but didn't lose his license, of course. He just had to pay about $60,000, which is a lot of money back then, but still. Yeah. I mean, you seriously are going to perform plastic surgery on a woman and do it wrong and cause an infection, and you're not going to lose your license? I I, doesn't. How? How is the question? Well, that finally brings us to the to the the final thing that this guy this man was uh, able to do, unfortunately. But his wife Sophie was still hopeful that their marriage could be saved. So um, his nurse slash girlfriend moved back to Denmark with his two other kids. So Sophie is thinking that she could have her husband back. Maybe they could salvage their marriage. They went to dinner one night and then came home chatting on the phone with some friends. And 
what happened next is just absolutely horrible. But the prosecutor later on in, in the trial um, basically um, tells it like this. He says that Dr. Friedgood went into a cabinet in a study, um, got a hypodermic syringe filled with Demerol. Of course, Demerol is, um, you know, a medication that's kind of used back in the day. We don't use that anymore here in the United States, but it's not one that's specially fast acting. Um, so what the prosecutor is saying is that it's pro- it's probable based on that drug that Dr. Friedgood had to hold his wife face down on the bed and smother her screams. So a few minutes later, when Sophie lapsed into delirium, he injected her several more times um, and then eventually gave one of the shots that he gave her actually punctured her liver. And um, the next day, her body was um, undiscovered until after lunch when her maid came by and, and said, you know, that she wasn't up yet. She was still in the bed. So the maid called a friend and the maid was like, uh, the friend was like, oh, that's not like her at all. I need to go check on her. So the maid went to check on her and tried to arouse her. And she realized um, she looked like she was in a deep sleep, but then she noticed she was cold and that her lips was uh, her and that her lips were blue. And she ran back to the phone and she's basically, you know, hysterical at this point and says, Mrs. Free, Mrs. Freegood isn't waking up. And so the friend called police for her. So when Dr. Freegood got the message, he rushed home and the police and paramedics, of course, they were already there. Dr. Freegood ran upstairs to the bedroom and he started crying and made a comment to the police. You know, anytime, uh, who's the first person that's you know, that they suspect. It's always a spouse, right? Spouse. Always. Every time. What are you talking about? Right. So they automatically are going to be looking at them. But then whenever the spouse starts saying suspicious things, they're always just like, oh. <laughs> he's So he's crying. And then he makes a comment that she had had a stroke previously and that he had been expecting something like this. Okay. So problem is... He signed the death certificate himself, and he listed the cause of death as a cerebral vascular accident, which, of course, we all know as healthcare professionals is a stroke. Um, At that time in New York State, there wasn't a law against a doctor signing another family member's death certificate, but it was sort of unofficially frowned upon. And so police, of course, are suspicious when they see this. Hmm, Interesting. So... Obviously, they're thinking, could it be the spouse? That's just where their mind's going to go first, you know, first and foremost. And then they see, oh, he signed the death. He signed the death certificate. Hmm. Interesting. So also the police noticed he was in a little bit of a rush uh, to get her buried. So when her body was sent to Pennsylvania, where her family is, they were a little suspicious and insisted on an autopsy. So Dr. Friedgood insisted to be present for the autopsy, which, of course, I think is weird. And the results, though, showed 600 milligrams of Demerol in in her body, and police searched his home. So while the search is happening, Dr. Friedgood (laughs) looks at his daughter and says, okay, go upstairs, top drawer, there's a bottle and a syringe, I need you to hide that, Okay. Um, this is totally nothing to do with what's going on with your mom at the time. I just need you to totally separate issue, hide the syringe. I mean, seriously, what in the world? But what in the world? She's his daughter and she did it. Um, so the police didn't find it. She was so young, I guess, at the time that she, I, I guess she just didn't know what she was doing. Um, the daughter ended up telling about this later in court, not knowing that it would be the piece of the puzzle that would convict her father of murder. So can you imagine, like, she's very innocent. Dr. Fried goes like, hey, hon, um, nothing to do with what's going on with mom, but can you just run up and grab um, the syringe in this file from this drawer and for me and just kind of, like, put it aside? And bless her heart, she's so, you know, innocent, 
she literally has no idea that this has anything to do with her mom's murder or her mom's death. So then in trial, during the trial in court, she just openly talks about it because she doesn't, it doesn't even occur to her that that, that that's the, yeah, that that's going to implicate, right. That that's going to implicate him. (laughs) Can you imagine like, he's probably sitting there going, oh, brother, why? Like, that's what he was, I mean, he's depending on her being this naive, right? That's that's why he asked yeah, her to do I mean, it. But, but that's why she did it, though. Mm-hmm. And that's how you know that she just didn't know. Yeah. she Obviously, she didn't know. Yeah. So then, Friedgood's other children shared testimonies as well that proved he was guilty. Um, soon after Sophie's death, apparently he took a bunch of her expensive jewelry and tried to get on a plane to Denmark and... Um, was going to start a new life with his true love, his, the nurse um, that had that was the mother of his other, you know, two children. Investigators stopped the plane literally right when it was going to take off. Like this sounds like a movie. You know how the, in the movies that's how they always like everything always culminates at that one. Wait, yeah, stop the plane. Right, stop the plane. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, but that's apparently that's what happened here. It's good be a great movie tina mm-hmm. i'm gonna find it it's gonna be the best why movie is this ever. not a movie right they arrested him right then the judge gave him 25 years to life in prison which was the maximum sentence after serving 31 years in prison dr freegood was released from behind bars in december of 2007 um at 89 years old they said that um he was at the time the Correction that that state's correctional system's oldest inmate, um, and they released him because he had cancer and was deemed terminally ill. But once again, Doctor Friedgood is able to somehow, you know, manipulate the system because he lived another ten years after that, terminally ill. His daughter did. Uh, his daughter Esther did confirm that he died on May nineteenth, two thousand eighteen, in West Palm Beach, Florida. He didn't die in prison, so you know. I mean, he did spend thirty one years in prison, so there's that. But still, he needed to spend more like eighty years in prison. He should have spent the rest Out of, of his life. eighty nine years of his life. I mean, like this, everything that this dude's done. This dude. Yeah, I'm. I'm sorry, Atina. I hate you know. You know I get up myself. I can't. This he. It's just crazy. It's crazy. It's crazy to me. It's crazy. To me. I know. I agree, Q. I a hundred percent agree. That's all we have to say about that guy. That's enough, right? But our good doctor story. I'm so excited about this because I like to. If I can, I can't always do this. But if if I can, I like to kind of balance. If if we talked about if we talk about a doctor. For the true crime or the bad, you know, the bad doctor story, or bad nurse story, I like to try to do a doctor, you know, for the good story. This guy's name came up. And what's funny is if you Google him, he's kind of one of these sort of unsung heroes. So a lot of people don't know about him. He's sort of like someone that sort of fell through the cracks that a lot of people don't necessarily recognize as the first, quote, black American physician, because he did get his education in Scotland. But he was an American physician. So um, I just wanted I'm so excited to get to tell his story because what a story it is. This is about James McCune Smith. Um, oh my gosh, she was born April 18th, 1813. I mean, think about, oh, think about the crap that was going on for black people back then. Oh my gosh. 1813, 1813, 1813. Yo, this is this dude. I mean, he came up when the struggle mm. was real, yeah. right? When it was real. Look, I'm all about like, Sharing the mic, and I love that you're doing these black stories, right? And and I've been doing all these readings about all these people in the past, like Maya Angelou and Muhammad Ali and all these black heroes. And Black Lives Matter is fighting for equality. But the degree on which current black folks are standing on the shoulders of those who came before us is it, – it doesn't even make sense because – Tina will tell you about the details about this birth, uh, about James, uh, Dr. James, but 
I mean, the things they weren't allowed to do versus what we are fighting for, the opportunities and what we get upset for, it's day and night. And thank God for the people who came before us. Thank God for them. Well, man, think about the man being born in 1813. I mean, the Emancipation Proclamation, What that was what, 1863? Yeah, 1863. This guy, okay, it was signed by Abraham Lincoln on September the 22nd, 1862. The actual date uh, was January the 1st that it went into effect, 1863. Okay, this man is born 1813. He died in 1865, so only two years after this. So the majority of... Homeboy spent his entire life while slavery wasn't a thing that they talked about. It was practiced. Practiced the majority of his life, slavery was practiced. It is insane. It is insane that this man was able to be a doctor yeah. and chose to come back to this country after leaving. He was an apothecary, an abolitionist, and he was an author in New York City. He was the first African American to hold a medical degree and graduated at the top of his class at the University of Glasgow in Scotland. After he returned to the United States, he became the first African-American to run a pharmacy in the United States. In addition to practicing as a doctor for nearly 20 years, he contributed articles to medical journals, participated in learning societies. He wrote numerous essays and articles. So he just used all of his um, knowledge and abilities and his fortitude. This man was a very strong person in every way possible. And he just stood up and fought against all of society's norms. Like the, the, the thing, you know, there's so many times, how many times have you felt like, you know, I want to, I want to say this, or I want to be this kind of person, but I know like everybody around me is probably going to think I'm crazy or everybody around me is going to think, you know, I'm dumb for saying this. Yeah. He was not afraid to say that. He wasn't afraid to say I want to be a doctor and have, he knew everybody around him was going to wait, wait, you're black. What are you talking about? Just like women, same thing. Like a woman right. going, exactly. I want to be exactly. a doctor and everybody around him going, what? But you're a woman. You're, but, but you're a woman. So you guys, there is a really, really nice uh, video on YouTube about his life. And it's put out there by the um, National Historical Society. And it's a really well done video. You should go watch that because it really kind of explains who he was, what all he did. He did so many things. We literally could not talk about all of them um, on this episode because it's just endless what he did. I didn't know who James McCune Smith was until today. And it's thanks to Tina. And I don't think you should feel bad for not knowing um, this because the country, the system, you know, racism has caused us to just like shoo, shoo, poo, poo, black, you know, success. But on top of that, once you do know, it gives you a little bit of juice. It makes you feel a little bit better about yourself. And you say, there's hope. There's hope. You hear a story like this and you're like, you know what? As as a human being, as Dr. Friedgood is, I have hope in the human race because they are human beings like James McCune Smith. Exactly. Because, you know, it's to me, it's good enough just to be strong enough to want to be a physician in the United States and to think, okay, fine, you guys won't let me into your school of medicine here. I'll go to Scotland and I'll go to school over there and then I'll come back. I mean, hey, that would have been plenty for me. Right? That would have been plenty for me to talk about him and uh, what an amazing person he was, but he just didn't stop there. Um, even So he had all of these things that he did in his personal life, all these things that he did as an abolitionist. In As far as medicine goes... He did so many things um, in his life. He established his practice in Lower Manhattan in general surgery. He treated both black and white patients. I always feel like, you know, this is not the first time that I've talked about a black uh, physician who, when going out to uh, in their practice, they went and helped white people as well as black people. I would not at all think anything of a black person who went out and be like, I'm going to treat black people because those are the underserved a lot of times. So um, what a wonderful person that just goes out and is like, yeah, I'm going to treat black people. But hey, if you come along, you happen to be white and you want me to be treat you as well, whatever. Um, that's the kind of person that he was. And I've 
I've just, I'm so thankful that like all this stuff got started and I've just specifically started searching out and looking specifically for black medical professionals because, oh my gosh, the people that I've come across in my kind of searching, I'm just like, my heart is so full and just reading about these people. They're amazing people. Seriously though, Tina, thank you. Like I'm being serious. Thank you. I, 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 I did not know who this human being was. I didn't like. I could have lived my entire life, and it, it would have never been a name that ever pops up. And now I know. And now I know. He died at a pretty young age. I mean, he was only fifty-three, uh, fifty-two years old when he died, November seventeenth, eighteen sixty-five, in Long Island, New York. But what he was able to accomplish, and I would love to encourage you guys to go and look up um, more information about him and find out more about what he did and accomplished in his life. I guess that's it, though, for this week. We have talked a lot about... Oh, that's an understatement. (laughs) A lot of stuff going on. These are... You and I always get... We get into tangents. Like, whenever I do a story with Mike from Simple Nursing, he always calls them Tina Tangents because I, like, go off on, the like, some big tangent about something. And he's like, oh, here we go, another Tina Tangent. You and I get off on these tangents all the time. (laughs) We're uncontrollable. There's nobody to stop us. (laughs) No, it's it's me. Look, listen. We can stop. We can stop pretending it's both of us. I love getting on my soapbox and... But I, I I appreciate that you at least let me get it out. You know, I got to get it out. So thank you for that. Well, I know that there there's some people I think that like all the extra stuff. So yeah, we we, we do edit out uh, some of the extra stuff, which is because uh, it needs to be, you know, fit within a certain time Concise. frame. But we for you guys that like all the extra stuff, if you listen, if you're listening to this and you're and you hear us talking about this and you're wondering what extra stuff was it? Yeah. Right now, let me just go look at. Uh, in my recording, we've been talking for one hour and fifty minutes. <laughs> oh, oh my god! We've been rec- <laughs> we've been recording for one hour and fifty minutes, but a lot of that's going to be cut out because we can't have a podcast that's an hour and fifty minutes long. Oh. I love it though. What I tend to do is I take our conversations and I'll I'll cut those cut some conversations out, some bits and pieces of the episode, and I put them aside as like separate little clips. And then we put them on our website under our patron account. So there we do have the little patron account, it's like $3 a month, you can go on there. And you can have access to kind of like bonus material. And then we put these uh, conversations that I have with my guest hosts, um, that sort of go off on these tangents that are interesting to a lot of people. But I, de- I just can't have an, an episode be an hour and 50 minutes. So, you know, I don't want to just completely do away with those conversations. So, hey, we'll put them on the Patreon account and let you guys have access to those if you'd like that. I would love to have you guys go and listen to that. Let me know what you think. We're going to be putting more stuff on there. Also, look, I don't yeah. want to I don't want to toot my own horn, but just specifically no, I'm just saying specifically on the story of Dr. Friedgood, mm-hmm. um the, I, I, and it's clear that the reason it took us so long is because he did so many messed up things. Mm-hmm. So whatever Tina needs to cut to make this um, the podcast streamlined, like you need to go listen to that. And then last thing, last, last thing. If she has to cut out anything about trust, uh, trusted health, the $3 alone to just listen to me rant and rave about trusted health alone, I swear to God, I swear to you. Alone, that alone is going to be worth the $3 and so much more. If travel nursing is ever something you want to think about, just listening to that alone, alone, is worth the $3. Yeah, absolutely. I think that that conversation is priceless for someone just because I, what I know from your experience has helped me as a nurse who is interested in travel nursing to understand that I don't care what another travel nursing agency is offering. I am absolutely only going to use trusted health going forward because 100%. I just want to have that security. That, but I'm that kind of person. I want the security. I want to know I'm being taken care of. I want to know, you know, trusted health is I'm like under their umbrella. I'm under their wing. They, they have got my back and I'm, they are kind of like guiding me through as I'm like going to my different, um, you know, assignments across the country, right? Does that make sense? Yes. 
Yes, 100%. So, cute. remind everybody where they can find you. Where are you on the internet these days? Oh, so wait, let me just tell you. So, for those listeners who love Good Nurse, Bad Nurse, the next site, the way you can find me, you need to let Tina know. Email Tina, send her a DM, tell her, Tina, we want Q back on. Because I'm on my vacation time. I'm not coming on the internet. I'm not going on Insta. I'm not making any more videos. So the only time I do it is when I do it with passion and when I feel the need to. And goodness, badness is one of the very few things that will pull me out of my vacation time and make me sit in front of a camera and try to look pretty for y'all. So if you want to see me again, you let Tina know. We want Q and we want him now. All right. Well, but until then, (laughs) I'm just here. Just Instagram. Q the nurse. And I don't know. I'll post a picture with us two together. Something. You know, I'll, that's that's it. Other than that, let Tina know you want you back. I know that I hear enough from people that listen to the podcast all the time. I'm constantly hearing from people. Q is my favorite co-host. Did you have on? That's so it, that's it. I know people love to hear from you. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you guys know you can find me at Tina at GoodNurseBadNurse.com. If you want to send me any email, you can find me at GoodNurseBadNurse.com on Instagram, GNBN Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. But I love you guys so much and appreciate you so much. And I also want to remind you guys that even if you're a bad girl or a bad boy, right, Q? Right. Please be a good nurse. Please. (laughs) And definitely a good doctor. If you're a doctor, please be a good doctor too. (laughs) Exactly. Thank you. (laughs) 